Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. In today's episode, I interview Rachela Garfield. She is the author of Out of the Shadows. It's an amazing novel. I loved it. And it is really amazing, raising eating disorder awareness, especially for this week, which is Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So I thought that that would be appropriate to release this episode this week. And just to reiterate over and over again that food is supposed to be pleasurable. Food is supposed to um, help us celebrate and help us come together as a community and use it as a beautiful thing. So this week on Friday is Purim, and I wanted to wish you all a beautiful Purim. I wanted to wish you all food peace, food liberation, food joy, and that this Purim, whatever you ask God for, he should give it to you, and it should be for the good. And um, I really hope that you enjoy the episode. Please subscribe to the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. Share it, like it, comment. This is how we move up in the rankings and how more people who could benefit from this information can get access to it. So without further ado, here we go. Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today, I have Rachela Garfield. Hi, Rachela. Hi. How are you? You're good. I'm very excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So <laughs> I'll just say I I wanted to have you on because I read your book. It's called Out of the Shadow. Um, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit, tell the audience, where do you live? What do you do? Okay. Um, I live in Houston, Texas. Um, I moved here 10 years ago from, and I had lived in Atlanta before that for eight years. Um, I work as a speech therapist, but I love doing lots of things. I do some photography on the side and I do parenting um, workshops and, um, I don't know. And And you're an author, (laughs) a published author, right? That's so cool. Okay. So, um, (coughs) I read your book called Out of the Shadow, and it's a book about, um, I I guess, really a lot about eating disorders, right? Uh, The main character is an eating disorder specialist, and she also suffered from an eating disorder. So could you talk to us a little bit about where you got the inspiration to write the book? And also, as we were talking about a little bit before via email, like the whole publishing, like, did you, you know, did you get, or were you scared and secure? So those both are long stories, but I'll just yes. start. And yeah, go for it. What you want to hear more about? Yeah, okay, go for so, it. So, um, my aunt died of anorexia when I was two. It was oh, my wow. mother's sister, and so sorry. it had a. 
uh, you know, it was, it was something that I thought about a lot growing up. My mother talked about it a lot. My grandmother talked about it. Um, she actually used to speak in schools um, to, like, she wanted to prevent anybody from falling into that trap or, you know, anything she could do to raise awareness. So, and it, it always, it was, it was such a painful thing to hear about it. And like, you know, my mother would talk about how special her sister was and like, it felt like, it wasn't like a good closure to her life, to my mother, because like, it felt like, couldn't someone help her? Like, like why, like, you know, why couldn't she, you know, overcome it? It was something in her head. It was just, it was so mind boggling to think about and, and hard. Um, so I always would read about it and it was kind of growing up, I was scared of an eating disorder, but I always felt like, it was in my genes, like I, I never wanted to get anorexia or to be anorexic. I heard how, like how terrible my aunt's, the end of her life was. And so it was always there and the, the same, but at the same time, I probably had a genetic predisposition for it. Like I felt like I could always fall into that trap. Um, and then, so then I got married, I had, one son and I was like, I'm gonna do everything to help prevent my kids from ever, you know, having eating disorders. And he was like, super not picky. Every, I was so proud of myself, you know, he would eat anything. He, and I thought, you know, I'm doing it. I'm doing what I wanted to do. I, I, I'm an extremely picky eater, eater and I'm gonna talk about that more, but from the time I was little, mm -hmm. like to this day, there are still hundreds of foods I probably haven't tasted. So I never, mm -hmm like really had normal eating habits. And I, I thought I could change my, you know, maybe if I do it a better way, I'll change, I'll break that cycle for my kids. Mm -hmm. But then I had my second son and I did everything the same and he was extremely picky. And mm -hmm. so I started getting very anxious about, you know, how his eating was developing. And so I decided I really want to get help for how I eat. It's not, it wasn't a body, like a, you know, it wasn't really about, weight or my like you know body um distorted body image but i had like these very like you know i only would eat very specific things textures bothered me you know i had so many criteria about what i would eat and your speech um, therapist also was that right did you you had a lot of like do you work with kids do you have like picky eaters do you work with picky eaters so my focus is more on language mm -hmm. um and so i don't really you know work on that but I did read a lot about a lot about that. Anyway, I I decided to go get help, and and I was diagnosed with OCD and eating, and they told me that it wasn't really anorexia, but it could very easily become that at any point because if it like attached to body image distortion, or it, it would be so easy to become you know anorexia, and and I think that I was like always kind of fighting it in the back of my head. So I went to one person for a while who um, tried to help me. It was great therapy, but it didn't change any of my eating. So then he referred me to this top eating disorder clinic. And when I went there, it was like a disaster. Mm -hmm. So instead of helping me, all of a sudden, everything got so much worse. He like everything that he was doing to like try to increase the amount of foods I would eat or what I was, you know, okay with eating made me like not want to eat like and I realized all these things I had read about eating disorders relating to feeling in control and I realized how 
like it made me feel like so like almost babyish but like out of control where he would say you know you have to try one new food by next week and then I would come back and and I didn't do it and then he mm -hmm. started telling me I had oppositional defiance disorder it was mm -hmm. very it was not a good experience but through that I'd always wanted to write something that had a part of the story that was about eating disorders just to increase awareness and let people know you know what people go through and then that experience also made me want to just talk about treatment for eating disorders and things that could be unhelpful. It's just kind of triggered this whole uh, story in my head. So was this the first book that you wrote? I've written a lot of short stories before um, and published you know, some of them, but this was the first novel. It's so funny because I, I told you in the email, but I don't really like to read novels. I really prefer to read like memoirs, memoirs, and um, I'm pretty sure I'm in um, a WhatsApp chat with your sister. Oh yeah, Does that make sense? yeah. That so too. she, yeah, so she posted about your book, and I work with eating disorders, so I was so excited to see like a book about eating disorders in the from world. And the whole time, I it says on the title, only on the on the cover a novel but I kept reading it as a memoir I don't know why and then I, mean, at the I, end... I really I felt like when I was writing it for a year I like felt like I was the characters like I was totally living in their world like thinking like them like I felt like I was writing a memoir <laughs> wow wow but it wasn't the story wasn't exactly your story was it right. no it's anything... pieces and just mixed right. different things together I don't know if you have read any of Jodi Picoult's books. She's like such a famous author. Yeah. Yeah. So I read one of her books and I became like obsessed with her. So I followed her for like a while. I watched every single YouTube video about her. And she said that like, she feels like in a way she has like schizophrenia with her characters. Like she just sits <laughs> it and the characters would just start talking to her. Is that, is that how you felt when you were writing? Yeah. Or just like, like I was in their life. Like it was weird when I finished the book. Right. Like I felt so like empty. Like what happened to that whole <laughs> part so of my good. life that was going on? It was so good. So another thing that came up for me when I was reading it, it was that like, were you scared to publish it? Like, were you were you scared to first of all get like you know like you said some people might read it as a memoir, so maybe they would have like some insights into your life, but also like the whole, you know, it's scary to publish, self-publish, or try to get published. It's expensive and it's time-consuming and everything. It is very scary. Okay, so I had like years ago, I had written a collection of short stories and I sent it to a very big publishing company, a from publishing company. And a very nice woman was at that, I don't know how, you know, I'm sure things are different now. I think this was in the year 2000. But the process was she would first read the book and if she was okay with it, she would give it to a a board that would vote on it. And then if they if they voted on it, it would go to one final rabbinic authority who would make the final decision. So I sent her the collection of short stories and she was so positive and, and she like, you know, told me that they're probably gonna wanna publish it. And then she sent it to the board, she kept updating me and they voted to publish it. And so it basically, I thought like she had made it sound like it was gonna be published and I was, very excited mm -hmm. and then um and then it went to this rabbinic authority and he said that there were topics in it that he wasn't 
didn't think were okay for their publishing company to publish. Mm. So this was, I think, even pre-Mishpacha, like before mm -hmm. Mishpacha magazine and also probably, you know, now there are so many more topics that people write about and talk about. Right, right. But, you know, that was like, that was very, um, like, I don't know, I had been so excited and I was so hopeful that they were going to publish it. She, I, I wish I knew her name because she was so nice. She sent me back the manuscript. At that point also, I sent her like paper, you know, mm -hmm. not in an email. Or, mm -hmm. And with it, she wrote a really nice note, you know, telling me to keep writing and like really encouraging me to write, like saying how much she enjoyed the stories. So that made me want to keep publishing, but I thought I'm, I'm not going to do a from publishing company again. I don't want to mm -hmm. have to, you know, be like, think about everything I'm talking about or, or feel like limited about what I can write. Mm -hmm. so that's when I started I then I got this idea in my head that I'm going to write this novel it took a long time until I actually wrote it but um so talk to me about that like you was it like one day you were like I have this story I just have to sit and write it like how did that go because I, I want to write I'm working on a book <laughs> sort of and I want to know how that works for you I spent a lot of time like thinking about it in my head before I was actually writing it like just like know playing around with the story and thinking about the characters and it did make it much easier once I was actually writing it and you know I don't know I'm sure you're really busy and there's not a lot of time in the day but like you could always think a little bit so it's yeah. easier to work on it like that yeah I feel like it's funny because I like sat down once I like opened up a google drive and I was like how do you remember what you're up to you know, like you write and then you come back and then you have to reread because I'm, I'm not, I have a very bad memory. So like I could think about something, but if I don't write it down, I won't remember it. It's like scary. So it's different. Some people are not like that. If they think about, you know, if they have that train of thought, then it's like in the book, even if they didn't write it. So yeah, I guess that, you could just like put little, give yourself voice notes or, you know, jot down little yeah. things to. Was this book hard to publish? Okay, so that's the next part. So I thought, okay, if I'm not doing something from, it's gonna be much easier, but right. it's it's actually a lot harder than I thought. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if you know how it works, but you have to, you, you can't go directly to a publishing company. You need an agent. Right. And to, to get an agent, you have to write this query letter to try to convince them to take on your book. But first you have to convince them even just to read your book. Right. So I sent out a hundred emails to different agents. It's not so hard. It's just an email, right? but no one would even read the book. So I thought, okay, it must be the letter. So I hired someone to help me write a better letter. Wow. And I sent out another hundred and still not one agent would even read the book. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, I would be so discouraged. <laughs> you have a lot of confidence. Well, I started asking around and people told me that there are so many people writing books that right. they don't people only want to publish something that they know is going to make money. They, they have so many choices. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get an agent to want to publish your book, you have to already either have a following, like have some, you know, mm -hmm. an Instagram account with a lot of followers or some mm -hmm. kind of blog or, or you have to show that you've been published in like big magazines. So I was writing on my query letter. I was published in Mishpahar. <laughs> I mean, they don't, you know, that didn't mean anything to anyone. Right. So then I kind of was like, this is never going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, but this was already this, after you wrote the whole book. Right. This is the book was finished. Wow. And I felt like self-publishing was kind of giving up. Like I had this dream of publishing a book. So mm -hmm. it felt like, 
But uh, so while this was happening, somebody stayed at my parents' house for a Shabbos, and he mentioned to my mother that he was start he was just beginning a publishing company. Mm. So my mother, as a nice Jewish mother, <laughs> was so excited. She said, "Oh, you have to talk to my daughter. She writes." So he was really nice, and he and I he spent a lot of time talking to me, and he told me that you know he couldn't publish it because he was trying to start like a Haredi publishing company in mm. Israel. Mm. So this really wouldn't fit the books that he published, but right. he was very curious what it was like to get a book published in, you know, just the regular world. And so he wanted to know about it. He, he, he stayed in touch and would keep asking me like, you know, what happened? Did anything change? And then like a year before I published his book, so that's like two years ago, all of a sudden he reached out to me and told me that his publishing company didn't work. He didn't make money. So he's switching what he's doing and he's gonna his whole company is gonna be helping people self-publish oh. and he would love to help me publish the book so I didn't really you know it felt like you know I don't know like I'm giving up on my dream even though nothing was happening in terms of publishing it right um and then and then it, it really it wasn't so expensive I'm not sure if it was because he was just starting but but one of my kids like heard me and he was very adamant that he wanted me to publish it. and he's like I'm giving you the money and I didn't really <laughs> need him to do that but that really like it like made me realize that you know it was worth pursuing mm -hmm. so I did that and I was so happy man because a lot of people told me like really bad stories where like inexperienced writers who publish things with a small mm -hmm. publishing company and then you lose the rights to your book so right. you could have to change things or if they don't if they want to they don't want to print any more copies Mm -hmm. You have no control over it, and you can't print them because you don't own the book anymore. So wow. I was very I've, I've grateful. Heard that. Yeah, I've heard that, and yeah. he was extremely nice. His name is Eliyahu Miller. He has, you know, a company online, and he—I mean—he helped me with everything. It wasn't just like there were so many things I wouldn't have understood and knew about. He, you know, he really was extremely kind and helpful, and. In the end, I was so happy with how I did it and how it worked out and that I had total control over how, you know, how everything about it that you lose when someone else's publisher owns the rights. Um, how has the feedback been since the book's been published? Like, do people get in touch with you or do they want you to come speak and, about it? Yeah, I spoke at a few different um, book clubs and for a few different shows. That's awesome. It's it's really, really, really good. It's really well written. I like I said before, like I I don't read a lot of Jewish books and I don't read a lot of novels because I because I read a lot of non-Jewish books. So then to read like a Jewish book, it's like the writing just isn't as good. <laughs> so when I read your book, I was I was like, I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in one shot. It was so good and it was really, really, really informative. Yes. Um what is like your goal of the book? Like, like we, I was emailing you before about like, what do you want people to know about eating disorders and the the treatment? And now, I, I, I'm not sure if you ever heard of intuitive eating or health at yeah. every size. Yeah, but no, like, and I know that that the intuitive eating, you know, any website that talks about eating disorders talk about how significant and important intuitive eating could be in preventing or combating eating disorders. So mm -hmm. your work is so valuable. Uh, helping people yeah it's it's really important and there is definitely a huge shift in the non-jewish world in the jewish world like that people are really becoming more aware of you know the problem with diet culture and how dangerous it is 
so but yeah what what do you what did you want people to like know like what's the one major thing you want people to know about eating disorders i mean you know being aware of it and you know the the more deep into an eating disorder someone gets the harder it is to treat and so being aware of signs or you know when someone sees someone struggling and and being especially a family member of being supportive of them getting help i think is so important and then supporting people like you and people who are really working to change people's perceptions of diet and the whole diet culture and um what did you, besides for intuitive eating you said another the body the treat i think i was saying like the treatment that you've that you've like seen is the most effective or because like, it was something that you was really interesting in your story was that the treatment for you was actually not good like you made it worse so that's and important so, to know yeah so this wasn't based on um you know what i wrote this part was well anecdotal but so many people have told me about um treatment that didn't help them and i know that you know, eating disorders is one of the hardest psychiatric disorders to treat mm -hmm. and to really, you know, get, you know, be cured from. Um, I just totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. Oh, so, 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 so I'm saying that it's anecdotal because people could have the best treatment and still struggle, but different times, the experience that I had didn't seem like it was unique. Like people would talk about experiences they had that they were in a, a treatment facility that was very um, controlling and that's, and and sometimes it saves people's lives and it's necessary, mm -hmm. but then they would, um, they would, they as soon as they left, they would go back they to relapse. their right. right. And right. so, so I don't know, you know, I, I, in my head, I also hope maybe someone would read it and, and it would give them an idea, some real, um, psychologist or somebody to do some real research and, and rethinking ways to treat eating disorders. I know there are lots of new approaches, but still most of the big treatment centers are very um, behavioral. Like, right. You get rewards for eating, then you lose privileges for not eating. Right. I know it's really sad and it's really hard. It's a really hard thing to treat just because of the so many things at play you know mentally physically right. and you know the color the the brain that is calorically starved yeah it's just really hard it's a really really hard disorder to treat um so how did your story end with the eating disorder did you feel like you were cured so no <laughs> i left the, so i left this the treatment place that I had been because it was it was it, like I said it was really having the opposite effect and I felt like it was turning into like a game where it was it was making me not want to eat where I right. didn't really I hadn't had that problem before I just right. you know was so particular about what I would eat but I didn't care you know I, I never minded eating a lot or I wouldn't even think about that mm -hmm. and so I left and then I started like getting better on my own again mm -hmm you know, back to what the way I had been and I felt safer like that, but it's not, I still. It's still frustrating for you that you can't eat certain foods. I don't know if it's frustrating because it's just how I've always lived, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to model that to my kids or I don't know, perpetuate it. 
but I guess that bad experience made me scared to try again. Maybe one day in the yeah. future I'll, you know, I'll try again. But that was it was like a scary experience. It wasn't a that does not sound like a good experience. Totally. <laughs> Have you heard of ARFID? No. ARFID is also a diagnosed eating disorder, which is it's like um an aversion to certain foods. Yeah, that so, sounds yeah, so that's interesting. <laughs> and it's it's I'm so easy that. for me to not like a food, like anything mm -hmm. can make me feel a strong aversion. So maybe right. that's yeah, it's A R F I D, ARFID. And what about your kids? Like it's it's so funny that you said that. I mean it's not funny, but your oldest son, you did the same yeah. thing, and then your younger son, you did the same thing and had a totally different effect. I think it's important for parents to hear that. That a lot of it is nature, you know? Right. And right. And I realized that. Yeah. You know, I had been so proud that it was my parenting style. Right. And then well, I saw you can that still they be had... proud. You can still be proud. <laughs> <laughs> so that son, I know I just I my, I mean I, I don't like being a controlling parent anyway. And and he did outgrow most of it. And I think mm -hmm. that for picky eaters, I think typically kids outgrow it. But yeah. they recently they added it to the DSM V five, right? what picky eaters yeah because they said some kids don't outgrow it and so they realized that it could turn into a disorder although i wonder if that's our fit i'm not sure off the top of my head mm -hmm. if picky eaters was added i will say that a lot of moms get very nervous and then they push the food more and it makes it worse a lot of kids like i have three kids and my oldest is eight and I, I've said this many times on the podcast, but I was like, I'm a dietitian. I'm going to teach her everything. And like, she literally didn't eat. Like I would force her to eat. She didn't eat. But then like when I learned about intuitive eating and division of responsibility and like, you know, not controlling the food, like she's my best eater. And then my five-year-old son, like he doesn't really eat. Like he'll like come and eat like two bites. But like, I really, I'm not nervous. And I see that like, he's much more open to trying, you know? And like, it's so ironic and it's so hard for parents because they're like, he must eat, she must right. eat. But then if we could just like, you know, move back a little bit, they they get more curious and they see we're modeling eating. Sometimes, totally. sometimes if we can, you know, then they'll, they'll see how we're eating. But I, I really wanted to give them space like to develop that intuition with regards to eating. Right. You know, that, that it was, and... And, and and not have any of that, you know, I don't know. I didn't want aversion to food to develop because I forced them to eat something. Or... Right. Right. I also wanted to ask you, um, when did you start like writing? Like when did you develop that skill or know that you had a skill? I always loved writing. Um, Are you a big reader? So when I was younger, I read a lot. And then I started like you, I didn't like reading novels so much, you know, more like nonfiction or memoirs. I really enjoy, mm -hmm. but I still like writing fiction. So mm -hmm. um, this is also a good story. In fifth grade, I had a teacher that I loved and I once wrote something for her and on, on she gave me like, it was an E plus plus that, that was like an A. Mm -hmm. that grading system and she wrote she never gave that grade to anyone and that she never saw a kid write like this and I don't even I don't know why she decided to do that but from that moment like in my head I thought I'm gonna be a writer like she really mm -hmm. so and I felt so good because I I thanked her in the introduction to the book and mm -hmm. I got to tell her how meaningful 
that comment was that she probably never realized she probably thought it was just I'm sure she didn't even remember wow that's so nice to hear yeah it's true you never know like what you say could like really change a person's life it's incredible did you ever take like write any like writing classes or you just it's just Just a natural talent technical writing classes in college but right right um I wanted to also ask you, yeah, what, another thing is that, like, did you have a lot of support when you were writing the book? Like, did the, like, your family or your friends, like, they, because if I sent the email to 100 people and nobody wants it to, you know, publish <laughs> my book, I'd be like, okay, nobody likes my book, you know? So my, my grandmother was a writer also, like, she was always into creativity, and besides for this teacher, my grandmother always was inspiring me to use any creativity I had writing drawing she loved making up songs and singing I can't sing Mm -hmm. but any like she loved inspiring people to use their creativity and so and then she would always be so complimentary so that always inspired me my mother is an artist and Esky Cook I don't know if you know her that's so cool so she and she always like inspired all of us to like use any kind of create creative talents that we had and then and she would always be so complimentary so everything I would do she would always make me feel like it was amazing and if, you know with so writing nice. so, nice. so I really think my mother my grandmother really so when you didn't get the emails you were just like I got this like the book is good it's gonna like I gotta get it out there well, I guess I guess in a way it was good that no one would even read it because that made me like feel right. hopeful that maybe if they would just read it, then right. they would like it. Like I, right. I kept, but maybe, I don't know. So maybe yeah. it's funny that you're, you're that I didn't think about that till right now when you're asking me, but I guess it was kind of a blessing that they right. didn't, didn't want to read it. Cause if a hundred people read it and said, no, right. we're not interested. Right. Right. I think I would have a harder time believing that it was still worthwhile. Right. I don't know if you, do you know Elizabeth Gilbert? I'm sure you know her. She is. She wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love. No. Oh, she's. She, it's a really, really, really famous book. Okay. Um, it's a good read. Um, not <laughs> like a hundred percent appropriate, but it's a really, really okay. interesting book. It's about the, the story of her like getting a divorce, and so she, she goes, she travels the world. So she goes to like India. No, she goes to Italy where she eats, and she goes to India where she prays, and then she goes to somewhere else and falls in love, something like that. <laughs> And it's like a really famous book. Like she's a best-selling author, but she writes in another book called Big Magic, how like, like a story, I, I'm not going to say it well, but a story could be like, could just like pop into your head and it could be like magic kind of thing, but like it has to come at the right time. And she tells this story that she like tried to get this book published and like no one even like somebody read it and was like, nah, I didn't like the ending or whatever. Then by the time she was like already famous, she like resent it. And she's like, the person was like, this is perfect. I love the <laughs> ending. And like, at first she said like the ending was really bad. And like, it was so, it's, she's very motivating. Like she has a podcast and she talks to like new writers and she just says like, whether or not someone reads your writing, you're an author, you know? And I, I happen to have a blog, like I love to write. And I was never, I, I used to write when I was in high school, but I think like somebody like discouraged me. Like I also took it hardly, like harshly. And, um, you know, Rebecca Shapiro from Project Proactive, which is how I got into the book club with your sister. She was like, oh, I really like your writing. And then I I ended up putting some blogs on their website. But just for anyone who's listening, like you don't have to be like a published author. Like you don't have to be like, 
whatever if you have something in your heart and you want to share it it's like just share it you know sometimes that's uh, the, the most real way to you know read something when it's just from it's your true. heart and right. you're just so sharing what you, you're not trying to write uh you know beautiful literary piece but right. you're sharing your deep thoughts or whatever right and and you you write for mishpacha and ami no i have i said i i never wrote as a you know i sent in short stories but they sent it are you still writing um i mean i i have dreams of more more books right that you're thinking about yeah like just thoughts pop up into your head well, I have a lot of kids with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So then that's the next book I really want to write about a character with dyslexia. Wow. Do you do you ever think about writing a blog or something like that? How often, what do you do for your blog? Like how often do you? So uh, it's interesting. I'm like, I'm like picking your brain about a book versus a blog because like <laughs> I, I get like these ideas and I'm like, oh, I got to write that and I got to get it out. But really that's not smart because there's like a whole like system, you know, like putting in the right hashtags and how to how long it should be and the SEO, which is like search engine optimization. But like when I write something, I want to get it out, you know, so badly. So just I, I want people to come to my website and see what I do also. So the more I write, the more right, you get people to see what you're, you know, you get to promote your mission and yeah. Your work. Yeah. And then there's like the part of me that's like, no, just put it into the book, you know, but like <laughs> I'm too impatient. Like I just wanted people to read it, you know. But but it seems like that's a very smart way to do it, also because that's what the agents were saying. You need to build up readers through blogs before right. you even get. Them. Right, and not like you're doing it the right way. <laughs> I'm trying, and everybody's publishing a book now. It's true, like everyone, like all the famous people, like it's just the thing to do now, you know. Um, but this is this was really really fun. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Any last words? I mean, I like what you say about everyone writing and, and it's it's so valuable when people share their stories, like to inspire other people, let other people know what people are going through, you know, be more understanding and empathetic to all kinds of people. So that's great. And I think the work you're doing is so valuable and amazing and and really important. Thank you. And where could, where can people find you? Want to leave your email address? Sure. How do I? No, just just say what it is, and then I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Okay. R o c h e l l e, like Rachel or Rochelle. Dot Garfield at gmail dot com. And your Instagram? Um, it's just remember? my name. I think okay. it's just my. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Um, but this was really really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Okay. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.